Hey guys, welcome back to another edition and episode of The Drawing Room X with, with me, Zabe. Uh, today, um, I wanted to do a part two uh, of one of the episodes that I did before on racism. It's a it's a pretty uh, heavy discussion, and I realized that I touched upon a lot of points that required um, a lot of, uh, I would say, um, perspective, but then also a little more of a little bit more of a deep dive, and then. Um, like I, I always like to admit, I'm not I'm not an expert in these uh, in these matters, and and it's always nice to really have these these uh, discussions, um, especially with someone who's uh, who's uh, more aware than me uh, on those uh, topics. And then also, I think um, the perspective is different as well. So I did that episode from an immigrant perspective, what I saw over the course of five years. Uh, which could be very limited, and it, it is based on the limited experiences that I've had living in the community. Um, so I wanted to just expand on that and and take advantage um, of um, someone who has been, you know, very active on this dis- discussion as a whole in the community, who um, has been living in the U.S. for all of his life. He was born here. So his perspective is going to be, you know, very valuable, and um, I feel like, you know, we can all learn from that. Um, the reason why I really wanted to double, like, double down on this discussion is that it's not, it's not a one, uh, one-time discussion that we have, and we say, okay, great, Black Lives Matter, and we move on from it. This is an ongoing struggle in this country, and one of the things that I mentioned in my in my episodes before was is that we got to start owning this country uh, because we've moved here. I know a lot of pe- people have been living here for decades. And if you speak to them about what's going on in their community, in their country, of of their adaptation, of, um, they're more aware of the country uh, that they originated from as opposed to what what's happening around here. And they're always, you know, they're, they're always on the fence about issues. They don't have an opinion per se. They're not really forcing you to have an opinion as well so um and i want to discuss this and uh kick this off from uh um a quote that i you know always look back to uh this is by imam hussein and and he says that those who are silent when others are oppressed are guilty of oppressions themselves so this is this is a very heavy discussion, and I want to make sure that we're not uh, just having this and ticking the box and moving forward. So um, with that, I have a very special guest with me. His name is Nabil. He's been living, like a, as I mentioned, he was born and bred here. He has so much of an experience uh, from an immigrant perspective, but then also from someone who's been part of this um, country for a long time. So I want to bring him in and 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 have him, you know, briefly introduce himself, and then we can have this discussion as to what his perspective is and 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 how he thinks the Desi community in particular is doing handling this issue. Hey, Nabil, how's it going? 
Hey, Zabe, how's it going, man? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. First of all, really appreciate, you know, it's been a few weeks back and forth between us. I know we've been busy as well. So really appreciate you taking time to have this discussion. Um, I know you don't have to, but I know that you feel really strongly about these uh, these discussions per se. And I want to take advantage of that because I want the community, in essence, as a result of this episode and this discussion, to realize that this is a very uh, important discussion to have. And this is not something that should fizzle out in a matter of weeks. This is this is an ongoing struggle and um, that should be treated as such. So uh, why don't you give us your background as to uh, where you were born and what's your background and, and how have your, like how has your immigrant, I mean, I know you're not technically an immigrant, but your experience from an immigrant perspective, how has that been into the US so far? Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up here in the Bay Area, San Jose, mm-hmm. California. Um, I w- well, maybe I should start with my parents, um, kind of sure. tell you how. That sure, sure. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. So my my parents uh, immigrated to the United States uh, in 1975. Uh, they came to Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, they were students at uh, University of Kansas. You know, go mm-hmm. Jayhawks. And. Nice. Uh, yeah, definitely. They had actually ca- they came to the U.S. Believe it or not, like literally four weeks after they got married. So they, um, so they their honeymoon. Yeah, I guess you could <laughs> say that. Uh, kind of an extended honeymoon. Uh, they uh, are should I should at least say my parents are originally from Srinagar, Kashmir. Nice. Uh, I'm sure every Daisy knows Kashmir. Um, yep. Sometimes uh, when when other you know daisies ask me you know what are you you know they can see i'm south asian when i uh-huh. i i sometimes don't want to just say kashmir because then it's just it turns into a whole long conversation like oh kashmir what's your opinion on this <laughs> what do you think do you think it's india and, I'm and the like, worst thing is and the worst thing is that um is that we happen to have a more of a stronger opinion on kashmir than I mean, compared to even Kashmiris, I mean, we don't even ask them what their take is at times. We yeah. almost like kind of own it and say, no, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. But yeah, yeah continue. You know, and, and it's funny because, you know, I mean, having, you know, when you're a Kashmiri, you have to, you're kind of by default uh, put, politically aware and mm-hmm. have a political opinion. Uh, you know, you're not considered a Kashmiri if you don't have a political opinion on, yeah. on the situation. And obviously I do have very strong opinions, but sometimes it's just like you don't want to even just think about it. You just, <laughs> wanna, you know, you're just eating or you're just out doing something. And then it's like you, you've opened up a Pandora's box. But anyways, yeah. that's a whole other discussion. So um, my parents immigrated uh, from there to the U.S., um, you know, came to go to grad school. They both went to grad school, University of Kansas, mm-hmm. um, you know, make a long story short. um Shortly after they, or sometime after they had um, graduated, uh, I was born. I should have actually been born in Lawrence, Kansas, but they had temporarily gone to New York. So I was born in New York. People ask me, oh, you're born in New York. You don't have a New York accent. You're not a New York, are you? I'm like, no, I was just there a couple months. Because after I was born, like two months old, they went back to Kansas. Sister was born in Lawrence. So I used to tease Mm -hmm. her for being born in Kansas, the Midwest. (laughs) Um, not, not, not hating on that. I love, I think it's a great place. So, um, when I, when I was five years old, we moved to San Jose, California. Okay. Uh, so I grew up in San Jose, started kindergarten here, um, you know, lived here 
till I was uh, 18, then went off to college, came back, was um, here, went off to grad school. I won't go into all that detail, but yeah, so that's mm-hmm. kind of my um, life story. Journey, in a nutshell. Yeah. I grew up in, in the Bay Area. Um, like you had mentioned, uh, you know, I have the, I would say I'm familiar with the immigrant experience because my parents are uh, immigrants, uh, even though they've been here now for a very, very long time. Um, you know, they're still technically uh, immigrants because they didn't grow up here. I, grew, I have a lot of family that came here over the years uh you know my my relatives it's interesting because i have relatives who've come here uh as early as like the late 60s uh all the way through the 70s 80s 90s 2000s so kind of have you know relatives from different spectrums as far as how long they've been here how recently they've been here but grew up in you know immigrant circle immigrant community uh, amongst people, so uh, among, amongst you know different South Asians, you know also Middle Eastern and people of other um, backgrounds, you know grew up in a very do- diverse Muslim community. So uh, we had immigrants from South Asia, from the Middle East, from Afghanistan, from Somalia, Ethiopia. Uh, you name the country, we had we had people from those countries. So Mashallah, that's that's awesome. Um, I wanted to also get your perspective as you were growing up uh, in the U.S. Um, how aware, I mean, the term that people use nowadays, woke, right? How aware were you of um, your surroundings and this issue of racism that exists in this country? Was it something that you had to learn yourself or was that something that you experienced growing up quite naturally? Yeah, kind of, kind of a combination of both. I mean... You know, it's interesting because I remember experiencing racism myself, you know, oh, from yeah. certain kids at school. You know, it, it I think it started to happen around middle school. Mm-hmm. And I remember it, it was it was a very awakening experience because I remember prior to that, like I remember I was in elementary school, never really experienced any sort of uh racism as far as like you know and hearing racial slurs hearing any name calling anything like that and i never really considered myself to be a quote-unquote outsider even though i saw myself in certain ways different uh from other kids at school uh you know whether they were you know caucasian kids or kids of other ethnic groups i mean i just kind of saw myself part of this multi uh multicultural society I remember getting to middle school and around that time, you know, experiencing, you know, problems with, you know, uh, kids hearing racial remarks, racial slurs. And it was kind of an eye opening experience to me because never had I heard that before. And I'm hearing that for the first time and kind of confused and not knowing how to deal with it. You know, you Mm -hmm. you come across different people and different personalities when you're growing up and have maybe altercations with people. But now for the first time, I'm hearing, you know, people uh making remarks towards me because you know i'm I'm brown because i'm muslim big for mm-hmm. for whatever uh for whatever reason so it was just kind of a an eye-opening experience um as far as learning about racism or learning about i remember you know it's interesting growing up as a kid i didn't really think i really or looking back at it now didn't really understand what white supremacy was, mm-hmm. uh, the way we were taught about racism and taught about 
um, the societies that, oh, that's a thing of the past. You know, you'll learn about, uh, you start learning about things like slavery when you're in, you know, fourth grade, fifth grade, and you start learning about, um, you know, the civil rights movement. And Black history in general, like, yeah. But yeah, exactly. You know, as they, as they say, February Black History Month. February Black like Month, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, you start learning about these things, but the way it's taught in schools is that this is all a thing of the past, you know, like slavery, this was ancient times and, you know, the once civil rights. Once upon a time, yeah. Once upon a time, yeah, long, long time ago. And 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 uh, the civil rights movement, oh, that was so long ago and everything has changed now and we're, it's the United States is the land of the free and it's all about equality. And I remember even growing up asking my parents about some of that stuff and even my parents who came here in the 70s which was just like you know a little, about, a little over 10 years after the civil rights movement were like oh that was you know you know before we came to this country but that kind of stuff can never happen again because mm-hmm. you know it, that's they took illegal. care of it they took care of it <laughs> yeah, they took care of it and it's and it's illegal you know what i mean if 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 it does happen you know, someone will be in jail if they discriminate against someone and it, it just doesn't happen. You know, this is the land of the free. And um, so, you know, that was kind of my experience learning about racism uh, as a as a systematic uh, structure that right. the whole apparatus of racism has been dismantled. And, you know, white supremacy was a thing of the past. And the civil rights movement was this, you know, this utopia that we had and uh, everything's, you know, behind us. And then, you know, again, experiencing certain, ra- you know, racism then from people in, you know, middle school, high school just would say, okay, that these are unfortunately people who are, you know, ignorant and uh, they're, they're, you know, not, uh, how do I say it, not, not sensitive and just not, um, you know, very mature and mm-hmm. kind of, you know their kids so they were like kind of like outliers uh they were considered like outliers this is not the norm as opposed to um what you were experiencing yeah exactly so that's a very interesting point that you mentioned that your parents you know i think a lot of desi parents um uh, try and 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 make themselves believe that these problems are not their problems right These, these problems are not our problems and very interesting that you mentioned that they said, oh, that was in the past. It was done. Everything's good now. Even the fact that if you're facing any issues nowadays, you know, it's just a one off and we can, you know, we can fight against these people legally and, you know, you're safe, basically. Right. What is is that something that you feel like is also a form of neutrality that I've my experience, I mean, a very limited experience compared to yours, but my experience with the basic community over here is that. Uh, most of the time they want to be in a very neutral bucket, right? They just don't want to disrupt anything. They just want to go about their lives and, you know, they have businesses, jobs, what have you, and they just don't want to be, like, bothered and they don't want to bother people as well. So they're like, you know what, I don't I don't want to really indulge myself into these tough and serious conversation. For all I know, this was done, everything's good, and whatever's going on right now, they're going to fix it too. So just let me just do my thing. What do you think about that? Yeah. And I think that's a common mentality that a lot of South Asians have. And I think there's, um, and I think, you know, there's a combination as to why they feel like that. I think one is, you know, what, regardless of which part of, you know, the subcontinent you're from, Mm -hmm. um, you've, 
if you if you've grown up there and I haven't grown up there but obviously visited many times and you know very familiar with the area you you deal with so much so many problems over there there's the corruption there's the classes the favoritism um Mm -hmm. uh, the nepotism and all of that stuff the the nepotism that's a huge one uh yeah the the deceit uh um people being deceitful dishonest so you you escape all of that um and you make it now into the united states and things uh as a if you're a south asian immigrant now things are are so much better for you Mm -hmm. uh so you have this in your thing in your mind now that hey this is so much of a better situation for me um i'm okay maybe there are problems maybe there is you know some racism here and there but you're like okay you know what this isn't even 10 percent as uh, as bad as what i had to deal with you know what i mean right, I don't, right i'm not i'm not now in a situation where people are telling me oh you want me to even do the slightest thing for you you got to give me this bribe or you got to do this for me or you know openly calling me out for uh for for this or that so or your life is in danger for having an opinion that is against whoever you're you know discussing anything with so that's also very common exactly yeah yeah so it's like you 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 a lot of south asians now have this mentality i should just be grateful for what i and 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 that is true you should be grateful for what you have you should always count your blessings Mm. but i think there is there's a there's a fine line and and it's finding that fine line is what is the difference between counting your blessings and being grateful for what you have versus trying to fix the issues and the problems and you know not uh, that that exists and you know not to go off on a tangent but it's kind of like i i struggle with this sometimes in my career like i you know when when i um i want to do better in my career i want to take it to the next level i want to try to get a job which is paying me better where i'm mm-hmm. uh, i feel more worthwhile um on one hand but at the same time i'm thinking okay why am i i'm never going to be content i the, uh, you know i i need to sometimes just say okay i'm content with what i have i you know i'm i have you know more than a lot of people who are in poverty right uh, should be content but then i'm always balancing it how do i balance contentment versus being ambitious Mm -hmm. uh so so you know not to go off on that tangent but um kind of the same way it's like you know a lot of south asians are like okay well you know things in this country are so much better for me than it was back home uh you know i should just be grateful i don't need to you know quote unquote be a troublemaker and start (laughs) Um, you know, trying to, you know, ruffle people's feathers and change things um, kind of along those lines. Also, uh, the whole troublemaker aspect when, when you're an immigrant too, you know, you, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're not a resident, you're not from this country. So you're not even a resident of this country. So you're, you might be here on a visa or you might, even if you've become, you know, like a, <clears throat> excuse me, like a resident a green card holder, you're still not technically uh belonging to this country Mm -hmm. Uh, so you're you know they're always very cautious you don't want to get uh, involved politically in certain issues because you don't want to be on anyone's radar right Uh, you're you're just like you know what i've i've they this country has graciously allowed me to come into this country uh i better you know keep my head down and you know um not uh get involved with with government or things like that because this this is um i've come here as as a foreigner Mm -hmm. 
and also South Asians, they know what happens in, in, in that part of the world when you start getting involved with government and politics. Um, it's an absolute mess, you know, over yeah. there. Um, and it's very interesting. I, I was just thinking about the psychological buildup of an immigrant, right? Classically, what happens is that, as you mentioned, that you face so many issues at home that you say, you know, I've, I've had it. I'm going to go out and earn my living somewhere else and obviously most of the times the decision is to go to europe or america right um so in it's in your it's in your makeup to really escape almost the issues that you're facing and mm -hmm. go towards something where which is comparatively you know you don't have to do much and then also uh on the flip side i don't want to i don't want to sound as if like immigrants are not ambitious because the fact that they move countries and change cultures so rapidly that's a sign of you know massive ambition oh. um, but at the same time what happens is that you know it's, it's a fine line there's ambition to move out and then there's contentment as well as you mentioned that once you've done the first part I and mean, once you moved out of the, the country of your, your or origin you're like okay this is it this is where i'm gonna stop this is my store that i'm gonna have this is the house that i'm gonna buy these are the kids that I'm going to have, and this is their careers, whatever they want to do with it. And that's it. So you almost like to say that the whole move from, you know, Asia to America, what have you, it's almost like an achievement. And you're like, all right, I'm done with my life now. So it's almost I, th I think immigrants are more, um, in my opinion, um, uh, like their issue is mostly with the fact that they they're content with their lives as opposed to not being ambitious enough to stand up for issues around you. Do you agree exactly. with that? Yeah. No, you're what you said really hit the point home because a lot of immigrants, if not if not all immigrants, I don't like to use the word all. I don't like to generalize, but <laughs> uh, I, I should maybe say a high a high number of them uh, don't. Well, at least from the South, they don't come to the United States with the intention to get involved in anything politically. Like you said, mm -hmm. uh, you know, come to come to the uh, come to the West, so to speak. You know, as mm -hmm. you said, Europe and North America uh, to further their education, to establish their careers, uh, to build equity. Uh, you know, to you know give a, you know better opportunities in life to their children, um, and exactly that's that's the reason why and just kind of to add to that too i think a lot of immigrants too especially from south asia and you see this come here but not necessarily with the intention that they're going to plant the roots here and stay here a lot of them have this uh uh thing in their mind that i'm going to go back <laughs> you know i'm just you know i'm gonna um you know work here maybe for four or five years save up some money make those dollars and you know yeah. take those dollars back home and i can i can live like a king the rest of my life you know just invest that you know retire right. uh right so a lot of immigrant it, it's funny because even growing up as a kid my i would hear my parents say it's a little kid we're gonna we're gonna move back we're gonna move oh. back and you know you know by the time I was, I think, nine or ten years old, kind of figuring it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it sucks you in. I mean, you're you're living a life here, right? I mean, yeah. even myself, I'm um, when I moved here, I 
well, I'm not going to say I had the intention of going back, but I didn't have a, you know, intention of not going back as well. So it was always open. But now that I look back at it, I'm like, it's all, like difficult enough to move here and unlearn and relearn again everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be, I think, more of a stretch for me if I unlearn whatever I've learned over the last five years and go back and relearn the whole ways of living in you know, uh, back home. So I think at some points you have to like plant your roots and, and also, I mean, I look at it from a perspective of what's better for you as a, you know, for, for yourself to grow as a human being. If that means, you know, living in the States, uh, you know, having a business here or what have you, like a better job. Right. Uh, or if that means going back and trying something from like building over there because you've learned, you know, entrepreneurship here, you've learned technology here, you've learned new ways of doing business here. You want to feel like, oh, you know what, what's going to be better if I take this type of business and implement that back home because it's going to uh, benefit not just the economy, but the locals there as well. So it's all about if what's better for you as a person. If you feel like you can grow uh, as a human being over here, there's no there's nothing wrong in staying in the United States and living it up. Um, and if you feel like you want to go back, that's also fine. It's 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 a free for all. It's you can move around as much as possible. Um, focusing our discussion more on uh, uh, the issue at hand, which is the Black Lives Matter movement, and 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 obviously um, the the outcry that we saw after the murder of uh, George Floyd. Um, one of the things that I've been wondering as well, and and I'm questioning myself in 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 this too, is what is our like what is an immigrant's involvement in the black culture? I mean, our involvement, as far as I understand, is just you know, music, maybe sports. You know, we get involved in their culture. So we always take the good parts, like oh, you know, I listen to rap, hip hop, music, or I'm into you know basketball or any sport, uh, and my favorite players or personalities or black and what have you but i want to understand why is there which i feel like why is there a lack of involvement of a one-on-one individual level connection between immigrants and the black community yeah i mean that's a very good question i think it's a very deep question yeah um i think a, a lot of us are always trying to understand and tackle that um that 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 issue um you you did bring up a very good point about you know the whole uh black culture how we we love black culture but don't necessarily identify with uh the struggle of african American. and i think that has to go not only with immigrants from south asia but i think it's I think that's the entire world, so to that's speak, true. the yep. entire non-black world. Non-black where, community, yeah, um, you're right. You know, where people, and I think that's that's pretty much the definition of America. People that love people love black culture, but they, and I'll be very blunt, they don't like black people. Yeah. Um, I think you, who, you know, who said it very best? We all know Hasan Minaj. Um, yeah. And uh, his, uh, you know, his uh, clip that he did, I think it was about three weeks now, uh, three weeks ago. Um, where he basically said, you know, we love to see black excellence, whether mm-hmm. Jay Z, Barack Obama, uh, you know, whatnot. Um, we love watching it on the screen. You know, we love, black, you know, what he basically said, and I'm I, he, I'm paraphrasing him. You know, he didn't mm-hmm. say exactly, but 
you know, he's like, you know, we love black culture, but then bringing a black person into your home, you know, or being, you know, having a friend who's who happens to be black. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's that's not me. I'm not going to do that. You know, um, and that's that's a huge problem we have um, within the South Asian community. And it stems to a lot of the racism we have um, in, in our communities, too. Yeah. In our communities, uh, that in our cultures, um, kind of what we've uh what what we were raised raised around a lot of stigmas were raised around and and part of that comes from back in south asian countries uh the perception that people have uh there of both africans and african americans yeah you know it's a very there's a very negative it's a it's it's a lot of ignorance a lot of um uh, a lot of hate uh, but I think even in even more so than just hate, a lot of ignorance and a lot of uh, false uh, uh, false uh, false notions, a lot of misconceptions. You know mm-hmm. that oh, people from Africa, they're all in these uneducated, poor, uh, you know, backward people. Um, when when we all know that's not true, anyone knows, um, um, you know, how sophisticated. People and and I hate you, sir. I hate using the term Africa because that's such an ambiguous term. I mean, I mean, Africa is such a gigantic nation with so many. Uh, sorry, it's such a continent with yeah. so many nations and cultures and and identities. So so forgive me for just using that that term so loosely. Yeah, uh, I, I hate that. I I hate that people when when they use like, oh, I'm going to Africa or. Oh, this is happening in Africa, dude. Be specific. Africa is massive. Yeah, there, and there are a lot of people over there. And the culture, as you mentioned, it's it's a quite rich culture, and it's unfortunate that the world, like all non-black communities, for some reason, have not owned up to it and 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 really not uh, given them the credit that they deserve. Exactly. And then and 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 then also bring it to African Americans and uh, the stereotypes uh that people uh in those could have been fed just like the rest of the world that oh you know african americans they're they're violent uh they're in uh they're um you know they're drug users they're mm-hmm. they're lazy criminals they don't, yeah. criminals they don't like to work blah 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 and people are fed and a lot of it is fed through you know um overseas media over there the um as well as through uh, movies through music that kind of stuff that you know this this false image that people have so also people I, living here i, I want to just share my my experience yeah. too of that because when i moved here um a lot of the communities i were living here and i was in touch with they were very quick to tell me where not to live and i think we all know which areas to avoid and like don't go to oakland or don't I mean, I think I was uh, at the start when I was looking for a place, uh, I knew nobody here, like no family here. So I was relying on, you know, um, uncles of friends and, you know, friends of friends and all that stuff. And they would be and I was looking for a place around Oakland at the time. No perception. I had no idea about this whole like what's good and what's bad. I was obviously just desperate to find a space. Um, And then all of a sudden someone, you know, messages me and says, oh, where are you? Uh, are you looking for a place around this area? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, don't. Just don't go there. I'm like, why? Why? It's just f- full of criminals and you're not going to enjoy living there. And, uh, you know, you come late from work sometimes. It's not really safe and all of that stuff. And I know they mean it from a good place. They want to make sure that I'm living in a safe environment and all of that stuff. But I think deep down, 
it's also a lot of perception as you mentioned it's it's being fed from here too it's not just the media people who live here they're also feeding these perceptions that in your that build in your head from time to time and you're like okay whatever i do not living in oakland (laughs) right so it's, it's very unfortunate yeah, exactly. So when South Asians now, as, as you rightly said, when they immigrate to this country, um, now they've come back with these stereotypes that they have of African Americans, and then and then their those stereotypes are fueled with more stereotypes here. So it leads them to having a very unbiased, or excuse me, a very biased uh, and prejudiced um, view towards um, African Americans as well as other. Ethnic groups as well as, whereas, for example, Latinos, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Latinos. Uh, yeah. Um, um, Vietnamese or, you know, Filipinos or uh, many other ethnic groups. You know, we have this uh, this bias within within the South Asian community. Um, and it, it's 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 really unfortunate because and, and the reason I was tying it back to um, South Asia first is because I was just trying to kind of look at the root cause you know i mm-hmm. think it's 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 a combination of things it's it's first the way uh kind of the mindset people have come with into this country because we and i and i know you know this better than me south asians even have a lot of stereotypes and prejudice to other south asians of other yeah of absolutely other cultures you know you know you know punjabis looking at push uh you know patans certain yep. way or like you know north indians looking at south indians certain way or you know there's there's so many different so many examples layers there are layers to it too exactly yeah exactly um and these are people who even if they might be the same religion as you even the same country you know within india or within pakistan um just they might be your neighbors they live na- with you they've grown up with you but you still have that oh this guy's a patan or a sindhi whatever so this is my perception of this person exactly and 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 some and, and some of it also has to do with colorism uh, too mm-hmm. as well. Um, there, there's there's so many dimensions to it. I mean, we could we would be here for weeks if we were just trying to uh, dissect it. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. So, so again, so again, just people have those uh, stereotypes and that ignorance with them, and then they come to this country, and then it just gets even fueled even more. So how do you think? How do you think we can um, just I know it's like you said it's it's a it's a deeper issue than on the face of it and I've always had an opinion that you know we have the black and white issue over here in the United States if this if the racism that we do in our communities if that were to be as lethal as you know white's supremacy is here i think that racism issue would would suppress this in 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 in, in you know it it would seem like it's a very small issue compared to that but Thankfully, it's not as, I wouldn't say, as militarized as it is here. But how do you think we can change that? I know this is more of a discussion and this is more of a time-taking, opinion-making that's going to take a lot of time within communities that, you know, hey, if if you've come across a black person, you know, be respectful to them and make sure that you don't have any preconceived uh you know opinions about them how do you think that one-on-one because i'm always and and i put myself in that bracket too i've always questioned that why do i not know many black people here and there's nothing stopping me but it's just what is the how do i break the chains if you like 
Yeah, good question. I think it's a, a combination of things. I think first, before we even answer, one thing that every South Asian immigrant mm-hmm. or even child of immigrants like myself, uh, even if you're second, third generation, you're a grandparent, because now you know we're, we're starting to have a lot of South Asians now who are born and raised here, whose parents were born and raised here. So it's like, oh, you know, my, my grandparents immigrated here. So anyone who's a South Asian immigrant or has South Asian ancestry, you needs to be aware of one thing first. That is that if it wasn't for the struggle and the fight and the sacrifice for African for African Americans for what they did during the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. the doors for immigration for, for South Asians would not have been opened. It was only after the civil rights movement happened that the U.S. government then opened the doors for mass immigration from South Asia. And that's why starting with the late 60s, you had huge influx influx of South Asian immigrants coming into this country. And that happened all all the way until I mean, it hasn't stopped, basically, you right. know. From the late 60s throughout the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the the, the 2000s. I mean, it, it hasn't. And, so, and that has only happened because of the civil rights movement. And who who were the 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 pioneers of the civil rights movement? Who were I mean, it was I mean, obviously, there were it was many ethnic groups of people of color, but it was primarily African-Americans. And, you know, obviously, we're not going to go into the civil rights movement on this podcast, but that is the first thing that needs to be acknowledged and that needs right. to be the mind of every south asian number 1 number number 2 south asians need to really now go back and learn the history of this country learn uh the the plight of african americans and a lot more than okay yeah yeah i know african americans were slaves and then they were free and then they got the civil rights but no understand their struggle understand um what uh, what they've not only gone through but how um systems of white supremacy in this country were created through government understand how even after the civil rights movement there were programs well with redline you know you brought up about living in certain areas and you know um areas where um are you're told not to go to and you know that um that aren't necessarily safe understand how did african americans get to a situation where they're all pushed into living uh and again this is certain i'm not i shouldn't say just african american i'm not saying all but how certain african americans were were uh ones who ones who were um ha- didn't have as much money as others were pushed into ghettos for example right uh, living in in impoverished areas um understand uh you know how that was all done by design how um how you know drugs being put into african american communities uh you know the 1980s you had the crack a- epidemic um mm-hmm. uh, how how you know this was all systematic uh this was all you know put, and then you had the us government coming back and saying we're have a war on drugs uh then in the 90s you know creating you know things like the three strikes law and creating harsher penalties uh for for nonviolent drug crimes things like that i know i'm just brush i'm just kind of scratching the surface here but yep. these are issues that i think all south asians need to really research and you know in a day and age where you know we have you know you know the internet we have so many tools 
um, these these topics can very easily be researched if someone is just willing to give give up the time. I think that is uh, the second thing is research that that needs to be looked at. Um, as I said, understand how the civil rights movement opened the door, and then understand um, the third thing is uh, the system of white supremacy. Um, how, you know how we um, are are all a part of it, and how many of us who aren't even white ourselves do benefit benefit from it in certain ways. Um, mm-hmm. th- those of us who are who are not um, who are not black, but who are still not white how we do benefit in some aspects from white supremacy, because in white supremacy, you have whites at the top, blacks at the bottom, and then everyone else in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of understand uh, the dynamics of that and how that needs to be uh, dismantled. And then one one last thing I'll also just, just kind of add to that is understand this. Realistically, look, I mean, w- okay, we're not going to live maybe more if you're lucky maybe you'll make it to 100 years old maybe 110 maybe one maybe 120 who knows but you're realistically not going to live more than 100 120 years old if even that so understand this understand that none of us that are alive today including newborn babies today are going to live to see a world or even a country here in the united states that is completely free of white supremacy but that doesn't mean that we should not be advocating and struggling to make incremental change because Mm -hmm. what the reason we have a different world today than we do then from the 1960s or 50s is because people fought for incremental change and we have to continue that legacy of fighting for fighting for incremental change so our descendants can continue that fight so hopefully one day we will have a world where we are free of racism and white supremacy, but understand it's not going to happen overnight. And, you know, it's something that we need to do uh, incrementally. Yeah. And I completely agree with you. I think, I think this is, this is a very increment. I mean, a, a lot of our communities is they always look at the the result and they're always demotivated by the results. Oh, it's going to take me what hundred years to get this done. You know what? Never, never mind. I'm not going to do it. Uh, I, I think it's, it, it should be addressed from a perspective of, that this is a step you if you want to if you want to go from one place to the other the first step is always important you can't think of like oh i'm crossing 500 miles here uh it's going to take me x number of days or hours what have you but the first step is as important as the last step because it really sets you up on that journey i think uh if our communities and you know uh, they look at it from a piecemeal perspective and say okay our goal is to make sure, like the times that we're living right now, current short-term goal should be to make sure that George Floyd and others they get justice. That's a that's a very short and piecemeal goal, which can be achieved if you push for it in our lifetimes. We have to wait 100 years for this. Then you can move on from that to say, okay, make sure that this doesn't happen again from a police brutality perspective. And um, another thing I think our community is, and I want to make sure that you mention this as well. Is that it's just not police brutality that we're protesting against. Uh, it's of not just not. it's it's not just the George Floyd incident or um, incident of that nature that happening not just for the past five years or beyond that too. It's much more deeper than that, as you mentioned. You know, the redlining as, as we were discussing that. This is this is this is much more deeper than that. But then, like I said, it has to start somewhere, and proof police brutality is 
probably the hardest and you know the the first step of this um and so um wanted to also um you know as we as, as we try to, to tie this discussion together um understand from you i i know a lot of our communities are quick to dismiss racism by uh, hanging on to like Islam and, 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 and say, oh, Islam doesn't have racism. And, you know, Islam took care of racism so many years back and we're good now. We're, we're good people now. I think that's what I hear from a lot of our communities. And I mentioned that in my previous podcast as well, uh, as well as that we're so quick to jump onto the fact that, oh, Hazrat Bilal, you know, was given this honor and he was the leader of men in his time, in a time when, and again, of course, that was a huge thing. Of course, that was, you know, a monumental effort that the Prophet took at, in, in that time, in that in environment where Africans were not even considered humans. But if we keep going back to that every time we're questioned about racism in our communities, that's an indication. That's almost like an equivalent of a white guy always mentioning that, oh, I have a black friend, so I'm not racist. <laughs> right exactly. so what are your thoughts about that i mean it, we have to also acknowledge this issue in our communities uh, uh first as well because i'm like i said if our communities if the racism in our community becomes as violent as it is in in america with the white and black perspective it's gonna be a bigger bigger war than that we have here yeah and you know it's it's interesting you brought up the um the reference of hazard bilal for the I'll be pleased with him. Yes. You know, um, something uh, that I learned from Dr. Hatham Bazian, a uh, very well-renowned professor at UC Berkeley, mm-hmm. he mentioned how, and, and I, I had never learned this in the stories of Bilal, that when when uh, the Prophet asked Bilal to get on top of the Kaaba and give the Adhan, many of the Sahabas, and keep in mind, these are now Sahabas, they're no longer in Jahaliya, and they've, yep. they've become Muslims, they outright came out and said, "Why are you telling a black man to go up on the Kaaba?" And they were offended. They were, they were offended, offended by that. They were like, "He's a black man." And these are these are people who became and these are people who are quote who are now Muslims. Yep. Um. And obviously they were Muslims, but you know, obviously Islam got rid of the racism problem, but that doesn't mean that Muslims have not been practicing yeah. racism and have not rid themselves uh, of that. And something. Another thing on the topic of the law, I was just recently seeing this Dr. Suleiman Yang, who mm-hmm. who's no longer alive. He passed away a few years ago, um, and I was just seeing one of his lectures recently where he was talking about how Bilal, Hazrat Bilal, was one of the closest companions of the Prophet But why don't we have many hadiths from narrated from Bilal. Oh, yeah, we have yeah, so many yeah. narrated from, for example, like Abu Huraira and Hazrat yeah. Aisha, who are, who are all uh, great people and, um, you know, we're fortunate to have those hadiths. But why is it that there aren't very many hadiths narrated from Bilal when he, well, obviously was one of the closest people? Yeah. Uh, you know, why weren't those hadiths transmitted and why weren't they, um, you know, um, n- you know, narrated over time? And and his again his theory behind that is that because you know Hazrat Bilal Radhiyallahu was a black man and you know his his sayings weren't given much importance so yes. you know not going too much down the rabbit hole uh, in, on a religious topic but 
uh, the the fact of the matter is that yes, Islam got rid of racism, but Muslims haven't, and it's 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 obviously prevalent. It's been prevalent for the last fourteen hundred years throughout the Muslim world. Uh, you know, we 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 know it. And, you know, just ask any South Asian, what are you treated like when you go to a Gulf country, for example? Whether you've yeah. lived there, whether you've uh, you know been there, and and that's just the microcosm of how uh, black people are treated in the, in, in those countries, um, how how they're looked at. You know, they these. I'm not gonna. I don't want to repeat the word, but they there's a word in Arabic that they still use. Yeah, black people, which means literally slave. It's it's and it's it's used openly till this day. Uh, and also affectionately, they yeah. say that they use it affectionately. And it's I mean, yeah, it's it's so much more deeper than. That. And, and I also mentioned in my last discussion on this as well is that Islam never got rid of of racism. I mean, if I had if Islam and the Prophet had got rid of the racism, and if it's still here, then. This is a bigger problem than it means that they weren't able to do it. Islam gave us the platform and the guidance as to how to get rid of it. Exactly. And the Prophet lived it through his life. He his his life was an example of looking beyond race, looking beyond your background. So we have to uh, emulate him in order to get like rid of racism in our communities. But it's so I would say lazy when people just jump on the bandwagon and say Islam got rid of like racism no. it's it's much more deeper than that as you mentioned like the whole the the narration of hadith that, that it's it's much more deeper than just making someone give the adhan uh, at the top of the kaaba so um islam islam commanded us to get rid of racism so yeah. if, if we're not and it gives us the, the the tools to do it. The tools so, to do it, but you can you can give some tell someone what to do and give them the tools. But if they're not going to do it, you know, just like you can you can uh, give if you have kids, you know, you can give your you know your child a desk and you you give them a book and tell them you know study. But if they're not willing to do it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen exactly. So I think it's it's high time that Muslims also realize that this is this is a bigger problem than then just it's not just a black white issue this is a deeper issue and it, it's existing in our communities i'm constantly evaluating my actions too because you know i've grown up in these communities i can't really uh say that oh i'm you know because i'm here and i'm almost aware of these issues a little bit i am not racist at all i mean there 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 these tendencies exist within all of us and the idea is that we identify those uh, instances and we say, OK, you know, this is this is not right. Me not me feeling uneasy or uncomfortable talking to a black person. That's not right. That should not happen. Uh, me trying to you know, avoid areas in an assumption that because, you know, black community lives there, I'm going to get, you know, ransacked or anything like that's that's just wrong, right? You sh if you're afraid for your life, you should technically be afraid of any area where uh, crime is uh, happening. So um, on that note, I mean, how would you want to end it? Um, I want to give the floor to you and um, ask you what would be your uh, message? I, mean, I think it would be really amazing in, in describing the experience and, and what needs to be done. But one of the things that I also mentioned, I think um, our communities need to learn this as well, is that we need to take 
we need to learn to be under the black community right now and let them lead this let them let them be the leaders of this change and let us just not really try to put our thoughts into their head and say oh this is how you should do it. maybe no don't do the protest like this oh dude no this is not exactly. your battle no i think so that, that how would you want to uh elaborate and end it on that oh yeah you know you you just made an excellent very excellent point um you know thank you for saying that it, it's important we support black lives matter we support uh the movement of African Americans, but we have to be very careful that we don't hijack their. It's their movement, and yeah. they have. We have to give them the platform to um, tell their narrative, and we're not we're not the ones to speak on their narrative or anyone else's narrative because it's 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 not our narrative. We we, we just like we wouldn't want someone speaking. You, as a South Asian, uh, let's say you're a South Asian immigrant, you wouldn't want someone who's not a South Asian immigrant speaking on your behalf and on your narrative. Uh, so that's a, that's a very good point you make. We have to uh, support and be behind um, the African-American community and let them speak their narrative, uh, let them lead the movement. It's their struggle. Uh, they... they we're not here to tell anyone what they should do or should not do. Um, so that that's a very good point. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, the reason why I mentioned that too was that I hear a lot of people speak about the the violence and the protests and yeah. all of that stuff. And I always yeah. put a break there and say, you know what? I'm not going to say anything on that because I'm not in that, in that position. So not some someone from my home was not ransacked and killed in broad daylight so i cannot be expected to be in a position to really make judgment or pass judgments as to how and where and when they should protest it's if within their community someone comes forward and says that this is right and that is wrong that's on them they should be able to decide that for themselves i think it's very important that we give them the intellectual right to lead this. And they've done this before. This is not the first time they're leading this, by the way. They've done this before, as you mentioned, the the, the Rights Act, which, which resulted in all of us coming here. Um, so they've done great things in the past. So there's nothing stopping them to do into doing much bigger things in, in the future as well. So uh, on that note, really, really appreciate for this discussion, uh, Nabil. It was a, a much-needed discussion. It's an ongoing discussion. I think the importance here is that we continue to have these discussions and we continue to introspect, learn, and 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 also read up on history, not just the, the American history, but our history as well. I read somewhere that if Hazrat Bilal is the only African uh, companion uh, personality that you can name in Islamic history, then that's also... That's also an issue because you got to read up. There are more people who've given their lives for Islam, Africa. I mean, the fact that Islam is in Africa, that's a huge struggle in itself. And that should that deserves a platform that deserves, um, you know, uh, the the introspection into history as well. So uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, any any final thoughts you have? No, just I guess one thing. And I, th I think you kind of touched upon this also. Um we have to all look in the mirror and we have to, you know, and we have to all tell her, 
you know, realize we all have some element of racism inside of us. I know we 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 don't want to believe that we're not racist, and you know, and I say this for all people, all people of color. You know, we we live in a society where racism is there, where it's been somehow we've it's it's been somehow fueled or kind of dropped on us in some way, shape, or form. If we want to get rid of racism, if we want to dismantle systematic racism, we have to first look within ourselves and say, okay. Maybe I'm not racist, but what aspects of racism do I have inside of me, and right. how am I going to dismantle and squash those? And once I can dismantle and remove those certain elements of racism that are deep down inside of me that I may be even denial of and in, in having, once I can get rid of those, then ultimately then I can dismantle them at a at a much high, much uh, higher level. So I think that's kind of something that all and especially with south asians need to look and you know no one wants to admit that they're racist you know unless mm-hmm. you're uh oh one of those you know you know a neo-nazi you know KKK. even the president even yeah. the president doesn't want to admit he's <laughs> exactly. racist. that's a that's a whole nother topic that's a whole nother topic so to speak but yeah just people of color in general i mean south asian you know and it's like oh well and and, and realize okay maybe you okay you have a you have a black neighbor wow you have a black friend wow oh i've donated to a black cause whatever that still doesn't mean you're not necessarily racist i mean you have to look deep down and say kind of like you like you said do you feel uncomfortable if you go into a certain neighborhood and see people of a certain color for example or do you 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 get on a train and you see for example uh let's say an african american person dressed a certain way uh, do you do you get a little hesitant and and you might think oh, oh it has nothing to do with the skin color it's because of the way he was dressed if he was wearing a suit i wouldn't feel that but it's like okay well, why is it that because of the way he's dressed makes you feel a little uncomfortable you there is an element of uh of that person's skin color because if it, if you're saying that you would feel differently because of the way someone is dressed that there is an element of their skin color because if that person was a white person that not wearing a suit but dressed a certain way, you may not necessarily feel uncomfortable. Exactly, so, and the whole idea of suit is also like connected with the the pious white guy, right? So we're almost exactly. like we we've linked that to a good guy. So that's also like again, it's it's deep within us, so we need to call it out. Exactly. Yeah. So and and that that's something that. Um, and it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's a lot of um, a lot of soul searching, a, lo- a lot of uh, reflecting that needs to be done. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess the only other thing I would say is for those of us from the South Asian community that are Muslims, we have a connection, obviously, with Malcolm X, uh, who's, you know, by far one of the greatest uh, Muslim leaders uh, in this country, in the world. Uh, him, I think we really need to research and understand his message. And another, one, one more person that I will mention who, I know, who I'm aware of that a lot of South Asians are not aware of, that's Imam uh, Wallace D. Muhammad, uh, he, who was the founder of the... Um, uh, uh, Nations of Islam? No, no, no. His fa- he's the son of Elijah Muhammad, who was the, uh, oh, the founder of the Nation of Islam. But uh, Elijah Muhammad's son, Wallace D. Muhammad, he broke away from the Nation of Islam and joined uh, Malcolm X uh, in mainstream uh, Islam. Uh, and he founded a whole chain of masjids known as the 
Masjid War Athene. Uh, they have, uh, you know, the, their uh, organization found in many cities across America. Uh, Imam Wallace D. Muhammad, he's, uh, you know, a great pioneer of Islam uh, in this country. He's an Afri African-American Muslim who many Muslims do not even know of. Uh, mm -hmm. When he passed away, I think it was 2000, was it 2000? I, I forget, but it was it was fairly recent, uh, recent, uh, not too long ago. When he passed away, many Muslims didn't even know who he was, and he was alive until just recently. He, you know, you know, pioneer of, I don't want to even want to say the African-American Muslim community. Uh, I, w I just want to say the Muslim community, because what he did for Islam in America is is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, um, and he carried the legacy of Malcolm X. Uh, you know, he was a he was a student of Malcolm. He knew Malcolm, uh, and I think it's it's it, honestly it's a shame that a lot of uh, Muslims in America don't know who Imam Wallace Muhammad is. I would tell all Muslims to to Google him, look him up, look up his talks on YouTube. Uh, you know, just look him up. Uh, study him and study, of course, the great uh, Malcolm X, Al-Hajj, Malik Shabazz. Understand their perspectives on race um, and within the lens of as from Islam as a Muslim and how we're supposed to uh, combat racism. And that is, I, uh, those are, I think, two connections that a lot of immigrants can maybe draw upon because a lot of immigrants, is, at least for Muslim immigrants, who don't necessarily see themselves connected to the African-American community culturally, um, at, at least from a religious aspect, that can ha sh kind of um, give you a connection if you don't necessarily feel connected culturally to uh, to certain groups. So You couldn't have said anything better. I mean, this is, this is amazing. Um, um, these are two really inspiring names that you mentioned, and um, I'll... I'll try to go get back on that as well because i i need to start reading up on a lot of these materials i know malcolm x um uh, but also but only from afar right i haven't really gotten deep into his his uh his um opinions and whatnot but uh really appreciate it man keep living the the dream as as they say and then also just keep fighting the good fight on behalf of us i mean the immigrants i mean it's very important that you're vocal it's very important that you call a spade a spade even within our community so really appreciate that and the fact that you're using your own voice and your platform um this is this is uh, amazing so appreciate your time today i appreciate you having me thank you so much keep up the good work thanks man thank you And that's it for our show. The content on our episode is a collective effort by the resident drug rumors that is myself, Zabe, Sahir, Farouk, Zan, and Naveed. Our theme music is courtesy Tamur Salahuddin, aka Muru, a highly rated and extremely talented Pakistani singer-songwriter and YouTuber to check his work. Please follow and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcast. You can also leave comments and connect with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash drawing rumors. Until next time, take care. <laughs>